Today's scripture reading is going to be John chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 1 with it. It says, In the beginning was the world, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to that, repeat myself, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The, John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, and place of grace already given. For the law was not given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Amen. Please be seated. Wow, isn't it great to have our college students back? Give a hand and welcome them back. I hope you guys will find this a warm and loving church. Um, Great job uh, Dalton did around the Lord's Supper and Zach did reading Scripture. I hope you'll find it as warm and loving as I am this morning. I've come to stage, and I have a cherry Pop-Tart up on this stage. You would have to be here last week to understand what a great spiritual point that is. But, so glad that you're here. Thank you so much, John Wright. It's good, man. Well, maybe not. Okay. You know, guys, uh, something that really brings a lot of anticipation to us is, is when someone moves new into our neighborhood, we're always looking around, you know, to see who are they, what will they be like, you know, will they be good neighbors? Well, we especially would be thrilled if, if somebody famous walked, moved into our neighborhood. I don't know that we really have anybody famous in our neighborhood, so I called my, my daughter that lives in Manhattan and said, Lindsay, tell me, do you all have anybody famous who lives around you all? And, and they really do. They have um, Jerry Seinfeld. Can you imagine Jerry Seinfeld moved across the street from you. Or they also mentioned Tina Fey. Not so sure what I think about that. But um, that would be incredible. But, but here's our point today. It's so simple but so profound. Is that God has moved into our neighborhood. What would you do if God all of a sudden showed up and moved in the house across the street? And what would you say? What would he be like, you know? You know, would you, you cut the grass and trim the bushes, you know, and, you know, pressure spray the driveway and take your Auburn flag down? I mean, what would you do? <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, if I've just offended you, <clears throat> just replace that with Alabama fan flag, and I, I can laugh about that too, okay? But I, we, we would make some changes because we would be so excited or maybe even intimidated that, that God was there. 
In that passage we just read, that's what he's saying. God moved. And guys, this is the most amazing thing in human history. God moved toward us. In fact, I, I, that, those 18 verses are so powerful, I can only have enough time to deal with three of them this morning. Let, let's deal first of all with what, verse 1. So profound. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, guess what, was God. My friend, that was a bombshell to the people that John is writing. <clears throat> because John has an audience that, that's partly uh, Greek, and, and so their idea of God was very different. And, and this word, word, we know the Greek word is logos, uh, the word we get logic. Uh, the Greek people believed that behind the whole universe, there was the logos, the reason, the, the reason that held it all together. That there was a logic behind it. The only problem was they could never figure out what that reason was. And so for Jesus to say, guess what? I am the reason. The reason is not a philosophy. It's a person. It's me. was a bombshell. For the Jewish people who understood the power of that word, word, because God creates the world with just a whisper, just a word. And, of course, then they've sort of boiled the word down to a, a series of commandments. And so John says, guess what? The word is not a philosophy of life. It's not even the rules and regulations. The word is a person. It's Jesus Christ that was mind-blowing. He's the one who gives life. He's the logos. He's the logic. He's the word. And so, the first thing we see here is He gives us our identity, His identity. The Word was God. Because we we hear that so many times that we have forgotten the power of that statement that God Himself comes to be with us. Jesus is not just a teacher, He's not just a rabbi, He's not just a philosopher, He's not even as some Christian religions would purport today, just a God. He is the God. And then look in verse 14. It's an amazing verse. The Word, as Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. But again, to these two groups of people, this is a little bit shocking. In the Greek mind, you had flesh and you had the Spirit, and they were completely separate, so they can't imagine evil flesh and God the Spirit being together. And yet Jesus says, I come in the flesh. And for the Jewish people, you know, it's mind-boggling to them that God would actually become one of them that you could see. Because the Old Testament, if you saw God, what happened? You died. And yet he said, we've seen him, we've seen him so powerfully, we've seen his glory. So God says here, he will make his dwelling with us. The, the, the literal word there is he pitched his tent with us. Uh, biblically, he built his tabernacle. Jesus is the tabernacle. He is the presence of God in our life. And so our next point about Jesus coming is proximity. Here's my favorite translation of that verse. He moved into the neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. Quick question. You think um, if Jesus moved into your neighborhood, would um, property values go up or down? Would people want to, oh, no, God's here. We better better get out of here before he sees us. 
or God's here. We all want to live here in the same neighborhood with God. I'm not sure. Probably determines your view of God. Because if you lived in that neighborhood and you had a friend over, you could point across the street and say, guess who lives in that house? God does. It's amazing. The Son of God became one of us. Because we have a God who has amazing movement. Old Testament, He's God above us. Gospels, He's God among us. You can see God walking down the street. In our day, He's God within us through the Holy Spirit. Because listen to me. To impact someone, you have to have proximity. When God really wanted to change us, He had thrown the rules down. He would given us some awesome stories. But when God really wanted to change us, He decided, I've got to come and be visible to them. I've got to come and be among them. The proximity's got to be that close. And then look at what happens in verse 18. This is also another powerful verse. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father. Here's the key line here. He has made him known. He made him known. We wouldn't really understand what God is like unless we had seen Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. God has spent some time revealing himself before this. The Bible says God reveals himself through nature. But you only get barely glimpses of a creative God. And then we also would believe that God has revealed himself through the Old Testament Scripture. And yet, I don't know about you, but I'd have a little hard time with understanding what God's like. Because on one page, he seems so sweet and gracious. Next page... Looks to me like he's obliterating some people. Next page, he doesn't seem to have any justice. Again, it, I, I'm not telling you it's not true. I believe every word of it's true. But what I'm telling you is I don't think I would have a complete picture of God until I saw Jesus. And so he brings, here's our third key word, he brings reality. And here's my favorite translation of this. Jesus has explained God. What's he like? You really want to know what God's like? Uh, in our day, we still have our doubts about God. Is he, is he real? Is he, is he mythical? My friends, God's a great teacher. And he brought the greatest visual aid in the history of teaching, which was Jesus Christ. And when you see him, you see the embodiment of God. But let me say, say this to you. If you're ever trying to interpret your Bible, or you're ever trying to interpret life, and you ever come up with something that is not like Jesus, what I've learned to do is I better step back and look at my interpretation again. Because he's the perfect picture of what God's like. When we look at Jesus, we figure out what makes God happy. We figure out what makes God sad, what makes God cry, what makes God angry. We see it in one package, and so he becomes real to us. So look at God's move. Let's review this. He, first of all, he's clearly identified as God. He moves in close to us in our neighborhood. And he makes God real. I can, you know what, guys, whenever I run to someone and say, you know, I, I love coming to church, or maybe you're a college student, and, you know, you're, you're, you're just sort of exploring this thing. You go, you know, I go to church, I do the right things. But, but God's just not very real to me. The first thing I'm going to tell you is, is you need to get in the Gospels. 
Because when you watch Jesus, God becomes real to you. And my friends, as we try to follow Jesus into our neighborhoods, the same things need to be true. We must know our identity. If you don't firmly know who you are as a child of God, and you go into that school trying to live for Jesus, they may influence you more than you influence them. You go in that dorm trying to represent Jesus, and some crazy things start happening, and before long, you're in the middle of it. You go in our neighborhoods, and you show up at a party, and maybe you start doing some things you shouldn't do. You've got to know your identity. But you've also got to be in proximity. You must come close enough to people so that they can see you and see what's going on. You can't impact people if you're not nearby. And then, here's our job, guys, is to make God real. You know, Christianity, in some circles, doesn't have a good name today. A lot of people are afraid of us because all they've seen are the Christians screaming on TV or the Christians made fun of in the latest sitcom. And so, guys, sometimes when we go into our neighborhoods, the last thing we should use is a lot of words because they've heard that. What we need to do is live a life that says, you know what, there's something different about me. There's something different about the way I treat the neighbor who's got a different political view than me. I'm not the person ranting on Facebook. It's something different about the way I treat people who look different than me. You have different backgrounds than me. It's something different the way I treat the people that are impoverished. There's there's something different about the way I treat my spouse, the way I I raise my children, that that finally they say, you know, what's going on here? I, I noticed something. I was talking to a brother this week who, who has a, a Jewish neighbor and said, you know, his Jewish neighbor finally came to him. He said, I don't even know how he knew I was a Christian. But he came to him and said, you know what? Um, you're so different than all the other Christians I've ever known. And it drew him. And guys, that's our challenge is that this God who seems distant or mean becomes real to people. We get on their level. And so Jesus, God makes the move, and, and now God makes it our move. And here's why I want to get really practical today. How do we make this move? Because in some ways, for us to represent God in a culture we live in, to me, is, it's just almost overwhelming. God, what, what, what do I do? How do I go about Where do I start? So it's almost like you ever just look in your garage and go, Man, I need to clean my garage out. But where would I start? And so you just walk back in the house and don't start, right? And sometimes when it comes to us trying to touch our culture, it's about like our garage. We just, we just shut the door and act like it's not there. And that's what I love about this call to obey the second commandment of Jesus, to love your neighbor. How do we do it? How do we make this move? Let me give you something to think about. Here's the way it happens if you're going to impact people. First of all, in your neighborhood, you're going to start off as a stranger. They don't know you. You don't know them. But somehow we got to make the move then past a stranger to be an acquaintance. We sort of know a little bit about each other, but don't really know each other. But then the ultimate goal is that, that we become a friend close enough that they trust us. Do they think there is something different about us, even attractive, whether they agree with us or not? Now, I'm going to give you two really practical steps to make this shift today. 
The first step is between stranger and acquaintance is that you need to learn people's names, okay? I think it was Dale Carnegie years ago who said the sweetest word in human language to any person is their name. It, it means something when someone meets you and they remember your name. And, and so first thing is, is we're going to work to learn each other's names and learn the names of our neighbors. Now, if you're like me, I've already blown some of that. And so what I'm going to have to say is, you know what, I know I've met you before, and I know you've told me your name, but I'm just not very good with names. Could you help me out again? And, and then more than likely, they're going to say to you, you know, I forgot your name too. And, and then you begin to, to make that connection. But then when you see them in the neighborhood, you see them drive up, you, you go, hey, Bob, hey, June, you know their name. That's simple, guys. We can do that. And then the next point to shift is between being an acquaintance and becoming a friend, and that's to make a connection with them. Find something in common, something you can talk about, something that you can share in life. And so that's what I want us to work on today a little bit. How do we make that connection? And guys, I'm so thrilled to have so many college students with us today because nobody is blessed with a greater opportunity to do this than you guys. Because at no point in your life where you have more people your same age with common interests in the same location. That's why someone wrote that the college campus is the greatest mission field in America. I believe that. So I've asked Sarah Bragg. Sarah's one of my favorite of our college students. If she would come up here, and we want to get a little bit specific about how you start this, how you live in a dorm, you know. We have so, so many people, and if you're hungry, we've got some cherry pop tart up here for you. It's really awful, I promise you that. It makes me sick. Um, Sarah, uh, you've lived in the dorm out at Faulkner, and um, I, I, I know from just talking to you, you've had some high points and low points. That's okay, we all have, but if, if you were telling someone where to start, it's the beginning of a school year, a lot of new people on campus, where do you start in trying to, to learn names and connect with people? That's one of the hardest parts for me, definitely, is learning names, remembering names, remembering um, where people are. Um, but one of the things that I picked up my freshman year is just getting in step with people walking to class. So um, I'm a Bible major, so I have a lot of classes in the Bible building. And luckily, that's like a hub for everyone at Faulkner's campus. And so just getting in step with them and asking people, hey, where are you headed? Or um, the best thing with girls is just compliment them. And that's always a good way to start a conversation and um, kind of find out about them a little bit. Um, so you sort of walking alongside them, asking questions. That's a great uh, What are some other ways in the dormitory that you connect with people, to become a good neighbor even there? Mm-hmm. Um, well, a big thing on campuses is laundry rooms. That's always um, a good place to meet people um, and talk to people. Besides the guys' dorms, they don't do laundry. Don't you? <laughs> That's fair. Um, so I guess lobbies is a good place. Just to um, hang out, do homework, and um, sometimes when I'm in public places doing homework, I'll ask God, is this a headphones-in day or a headphones-out day? And um, sometimes when I just kind of feel like I don't need to be isolated, um, people will come up to me or um, a conversation will start up. And it's amazing how he uses those, those times when I ask him, you know, do I need to be jamming out to music or do I need to be listening for you? Wow. So you, you cover it with prayer? Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the most, because sometimes it, there are times to say something, times to just be silent, right? Definitely. How, how have you seen God be able to use this, building these connections? 
I don't know, just by, um, he's brought so many wonderful girls into my life. Um, and just over the, the three years that I've been at Faulkner and, um, just different Bible studies and just open times of prayer. Um, he's just moved through these girls' lives. And I don't know that that's me. I, I know that that's him. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. No, you are. You're doing a great job. Thanks. Anything else you'd add, Sarah, just of advice? Um, learning names, finding what people like, um, and doing that with them. Um, one of my favorite things is coffee. And so I'll ask people, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? And if they don't like coffee, then we'll do something else. So just getting into people's lives, asking how you can pray for them, it's huge. And that means so much to people. No question. Thank you for being so intentional. Everybody give a hand to Sarah sharing with us. Thank you. You know, I, I love hearing those ideas because they, they sound so basic. And yet, on the other hand, how many of us trip up and don't learn the name? Don't ask the person for the coffee. And, and what I'm trying to do last Sunday and this Sunday is, is just to be throwing ideas out there because we're all not going to do the same thing. Whether you're an introvert or extrovert will have a lot to do with what you do. Uh, last week we showed that, that video of the turquoise table. I mean, that was powerful. Let me give you some other ideas I've heard over the last. You know, just if you live in a neighborhood, go into your homeowners association meeting. You know, probably about 10% of people do that, but you show up, that's a place to connect. Um, you know, throw in a, a party. I, I was talking to someone this week, and he gave me the best idea. He said what they did was sent their children out in the neighborhood with an invitation. That's always good. If you got kids or grandkids, use them in this way, okay? And, and they would go to door to door, and they would give invitations out for an ice cream party at their house on like a Saturday afternoon. They were going to do homemade ice cream, and they invited the neighborhood to come, and you just bring your favorite topping. And he said, we, we really thought nobody's going to show up, and we looked up, and most of the neighborhood's there. I mean, there, there's so many things. I mean, it doesn't always have to be the party at your house. Maybe it's the party in the neighborhood. Maybe there's some drinking that goes on there that's beyond what you're comfortable with. Listen, Jesus received criticism for being in those kind of places. And, and he didn't back down for it. And so if, if you put yourself in that place, then you've got that strong identity. That's cool. You can be the person that's the light there. So, so go do that. You know, there's so many things that we can do. A neighborhood yard sale. You know, you say you're going to host it and people are going to make some money. You talk about people flocking to your house? There's so much that we can do. I, I remember the neighborhood, one neighborhood we lived in in Pensacola. Our next-door neighbors was Scott and Kay Watson. They were just an amazing Christian couple. And, and, and what Scott did, we lived in a cul-de-sac. He just set a basketball goal up at the end of the cul-de-sac. And every afternoon after work, he was out there playing basketball with the other dads and the neighborhood kids. And frankly, when I go back to Pensacola, almost nobody I knew still lives in that neighborhood. But there, there were about seven families there. I could name four of them that are now Christians because Scott Watson decided to put a basketball goal up and get to know people. It can be just that powerful. And here's what I want to say to you. Because it's that powerful, not only does God have a move and you have a move, we have a move, but Satan doesn't want to see this happen. I want to talk just a moment about two of the barriers that Satan's going to put up to stop us from doing this. Now listen, it's like we said last week. If we can get better at obeying the first and greatest commandments, we'll change the world. 
And what I love about what we're talking about today is, is right now, I'm not telling you you've got to go to Africa or China. God may call you there and praise God for that. I love our people. I'm just telling you to go home where you are every week and to be salt and light. And here's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to tell you you can't do that. Here's, here's how he's going to do it. Number one, he's going to bring up the time barrier, okay? What's it? He's, he's just going to say, you know, buddy, that sermon's nice, but here's the truth. I'm just way too what? Busy. Man, man, guys, we say that about everything. Too busy, too busy, too busy, too busy. I saw something in the newspaper the other day sort of convicted me about this. It says the average American spends five hours a day on their smartphone. And we say we're too busy? You think about the time you spend channel surfing on your TV, and we will say we're too busy? Guys, the, the time we watch ESPN in the same story over and over, and we're too busy? I mean, my friends... If you just were to do this next week, just, just write down how you spend your time. Just spend a week just gauging your time. You're going to see some areas that you could cut to be out in your neighborhood. So you're not just flying into the garage, shutting the garage door down, cocooning in your house. You know, weather's starting to get better. Hopefully it's going to get a whole lot better. You can be out in your neighborhood. I love um, Sue Hegarty shared with us first service. You know what she's done in her neighborhood? She's just learned all the kids' birthdays, and she asked them what kind of birthday cake they want. Her husband, Wayne, just in his house, if he ever hears a lawnmower crank in his neighborhood, he just walks out and goes to their yard and says, can I help you? Just simple things like this, but we've got to overcome this excuse that we've got that we're we're too busy my friends if we're too busy to obey the two greatest commandments let, let's just be really honest here guys we're ta- we're way too busy I, i've given you two simple challenges the last two weeks challenge number one was to pray for your community that you would love your city the way god loved it challenge number two was to just go prayer walk your neighborhood now i don't know if you did that or not and i'm not here to give you a guilt trip but i'm here to wake you up wake me up. If, if you've not done those two things you are just simply way too busy or too distracted. Probably just too distracted. Because I don't know about you, honestly, most of the time I do what I want to do. If I really want to do something, I make time for it. And if you'll make time to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, oh my goodness, no telling what God would do. And here's number two. This may be the, the one Satan really pulls on us, is the fear factor. Man, we live in a scary world, and there's probably some scary people in my neighborhood. And if I get out there involved, you know, I may get into something deep I don't know how to handle. I may, I may experience rejection in my dorm if I become that, that friendly person who reaches out. Guys, um, the Bible has actually a lot to say about that. First Peter chapter 3, these guys are undergoing persecution. How about scary? Their their life's on the line. Listen to what Peter says, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Normally nobody's going to harm us. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But make sure you do this with generosity and respect. 
keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Wow. What does Peter say? Your life could be so powerful that people who said bad things about you when they first found out the Christian moved in the neighborhood are guaranteed they say bad things when the preacher moves in the neighborhood. Who wants a preacher as their neighbor? Not many, okay? I mean, they could say, you know what? You're a lot different than I expected you were. That's one of the best compliments a minister can get. You're a lot better than I expected. And he says, that can happen in, in your neighborhood. That's what happened with the couple I mentioned a while ago. You know what? I've met a lot of Christians, and you're completely different. So we've got to overcome that. So last point here, and, and last thing is, guys, it, it's your move. God, God's made the move, and, and God now says to us, you know what? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We, we serve a missional sent God. We're a missionally sent people. So, guys, can this be more than just our latest message series? Can this truly be a shift in the way we do life? Now, guys, I'm not telling you everybody in your neighborhood can come to Christ. Nobody in your neighborhood may come to Christ. Nobody in your door may. That's okay. You still obey Jesus' command to love people. But you never know. Many of you know my, my nephew, Gare, who moved here, and his wife, Serena. I love Serena's story. Serena grew up. She was born into family. They weren't Christians. They, they were struggling financially. She's just a little girl. Her mom's pregnant with a second child. And, and, and they can't pay their bills. And so they throw a yard sale. And they throw this big yard sale out, out front. And they're selling the children's clothes, Serena's clothes, and the baby clothes. And there was a, a lady who came to the yard sale and saw what was going on. And, and was observant and, and went home and got a check and wrote a check for the whole yard sale and gave it to him and said, keep your stuff, you need it. Because she saw there was a little girl whose clothes were being sold. A few weeks later, the same lady invited Serena's parents to church. They came. They surrendered their life to Jesus. Since that point, they've been missionaries to Venezuela. They've just moved to a mission point out, out, out west in the, west, uh, the, the Pacific coast. It started because somebody just walked up to a yard sale and said, something's not going on right here. We want to take care of you. And, and my friends, as we think about responding to Jesus, that's the great, the great motivation for us to move into the neighborhood today. And do what we're talking about is because God first moved into our neighborhood. And you talk about dangerous, he ended up giving his life. And he calls us to lay our lives down for him. So today, if you're ready to follow Jesus, come to this front. If you need the prayers of this church to go be who you need to be when you walk out of here, come ask for prayers. Do that right now while we stand and sing.